Welcome to UO Today. Welcome to the new academic year. I'm Paul Peppis, director of the Oregon Humanities Center, and I'm coming to you virtually this year for our, uh, at least for the fall term of our UO Today interviews. My guest today, as has been the case for the past six years, is Michael Schill, president of the University of Oregon. Thanks, Mike, for coming on the show, and I'm especially grateful because this is a year unlike any of the previous years that I have spoken with you. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's interesting. The number of times we say this is a year unlike any other year is, uh, you know, it's almost becoming talismanic. So my first question is about um, the first or the most proximate complication in our lives, which are the wildfires that have been burning throughout the West and in Oregon. I just was curious if you wanted to say anything about the university's responses to um, the situation in the wildfires and all the displaced people. Yeah, so I mean, you know, it is it is really just a tragedy and we have uh, both, uh, you know, for our community, as well as communities all up and down the West Coast. And, you know, from the beginning, uh, we have, and I, and I know this is affecting everyone, um, but most particularly the people who have been evacuated um, and, and the people who have lost homes and the people who have, have there's some lost lives also in these fires. And uh, so what we've done from the beginning is we, we have, a, as, as you know, a really great uh, incident management group. And so we have connected our incident management team with the county to provide whatever logistical help uh, that we could. We've also reached out to our employees uh, in the evacuation zone, and we have offered them housing in Barnhart, uh, which is uh, one of our uh, residential facilities uh, that has bath individual bathrooms, because obviously what's complicated is we're in a COVID situation, so we have to be careful. Um, and you know, we, we've just reached out and tried to mobilize people to work um, work on their behalf. Uh, and it's a, um, I mean, many of us wish we could do more uh, and in and helping them. And we're also responding on campus uh, in, to, you know, the, there's obviously the smoke that, that has um, uh, enveloped our area. We're working on trying to air out buildings, improve air quality here. But it, I know for many people, uh, it just feels like the last straw, right? I mean, first the COVID-19 uh, and all of the complications of that, then uh, obviously George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and, and, and just this tremendous wrenching uh, feeling amongst us all over, over racism. And now, um, and now we have these forest fires. Um, and uh, I think that uh, I'm hopeful uh, that that the state and the community will be able to make a, a quick recovery from that. And, and again, my heart and the hearts of all of our, our folks here go out to anybody who's lost property or loved ones. Um, and, and we hope that everyone thing gets settled as quickly as possible. Amen to that. Uh, let's start talking about um, the, the various other issues that you pointed to. Let's Sorry. begin with the uh, COVID and the changes that COVID brought to the University of Oregon. So last uh, spring, the university had to quickly pivot to online and remote learning. Can you say a little bit about how that impacted students and professors from your perspective? 
Yeah, so I mean, it was obviously in the spring, it was incredibly challenging. Um, and, you know, I, I got to tip my hat to our professors and, and faculty and GEs. I mean, in one week, they were able to uh, change their whole method of pedagogy, right, to, to be able to go online. Um, if you had asked me to, you know, do a Zoom uh, back then, I would have like looked at you and uh, with with this and and been helpless. Uh, but but people mobilized, and uh, we were able to pull off the uh, spring quarter fairly well. Um, and uh, now, as we're moving into the fall, it is we're we're a little more planned. Uh, it's going to be different this fall. Uh, we have put resources into online education. We have put resources into training. Uh, overall, how did it go? Um, as, as you know, I, I called some students. I think it got reported that I called randomly some students. In fact, uh, as I walk down the street, sometimes I see people who said, you called me last spring. And I said, oh, and then I've had me parents who said it was really nice to speak with you. Because if I couldn't get the student, I would call the parent uh, and then see how the student was doing. Uh, but, you know, I think overall it was good, but it wasn't great for, and there were some students who had trouble adjusting. Um, we just did a survey uh, through Siru and, you know, we got back some responses. About 96% of the students said they had overcome some sort of an obstacle. Uh, obstacles would include lack of motivation, but it also could include lack of facilities or internet. Uh, about 12% of the students in the study suggested that they didn't adapt very well um, and, and that it was a problem. Uh, and, and so, um, you know, that, that troubles us. Uh, we had doubled the number of uh, folks uh, who dropped out of, uh, you know, stepped out for hopefully only a quarter last spring. That was a much smaller number than we were anticipating. And, um, but I think overall, our students did well. And, you know, our, our advisors are amazing. They reached out, everybody got a phone call. Everybody was talked to about their experience. Um, and I think our faculty really did a great job. And, and you know, I wanna thank all of them for what they did. So you, uh, the administration decided a few weeks ago that we would be mostly online again this uh, term, this coming term in the fall, with the hope that we would be mostly back in person for winter and spring. Uh, say a little bit about the classes. There's a, a small percentage, something like 20% of the classes will be taught in, in person this term. Can you tell us about what those classes are and why they're going to be taught in person? Sure. So, so there's some class. So we, we asked faculty, we sent around, uh, uh, as, as you know, because you probably received it, a survey asking people uh, whether they wanted to teach in person. And then we also uh, asked what, what classes they wanted to. And by and large, the classes uh, that were, we're going to be about 20% of our classes are going to be in person. And they're mostly they're disproportionately labs. They are art classes. They're music classes. They're sort of classes that you wouldn't be able to teach, just very hard to teach uh, remotely. Uh, as you know, we offered uh, 
faculty and GEs uh, the choice about whether they would uh, teach in person or uh, or teach remotely, and uh, we we honored their their decisions as to as to what to do. So those are going to be the classes. We we also have this space where we're going to um, allow a small number of professors who want to teach in person to teach in person uh, this uh, this fall to sort of see how it works in, in, in class. There'll be smallish classes uh, and there'll be social distancing and the like. And, and we're gonna see how that works so that we can have sort of a pilot uh, for if we're able to be in person uh, in, uh, in the winter. So can you say something about the kind of experience first year students will expect when they move onto campus? And I know that some have already started to move onto campus. I, I was on campus yesterday and I saw some students moving in. Tell us a little bit about. So those were probably RAs that, that you saw, or maybe some early, because our first day of move-in is tomorrow. Uh, and uh, we're going to move in for 10 days. Every student is going to be tested as they move in. Um, and then again, they'll be tested about five days later. So as I said, it's going to be staged over a long period of time. Uh, so health and safety is going to be very, very important. We're going to continue testing throughout the quarter. Uh, but one of the things that we really wanted to make sure of is the first year of college is tremendously important. I don't have to remind you how, how really it's it, it sort of it's, it's a transformational period in people's lives. And it also affects the way they, they uh, see themselves in the university. Uh, and what we know is that, you know, if you live on campus, you are more likely to graduate from the University of Oregon. Um, and that's even after you control for other factors. So we want this to be a really robust period of time for students. We want them uh, to get a really good experience, to be able to meet people, to be able to interact. We don't want this to be a ghost town where it's just people in their dorms. So we're really working hard with student life, uh, the faculty, other folks to put together an expanded fac faculty fellows program. We're going to be doing lectures in the residence halls. We have a ton of uh, residential arcs and figs and our usual freshman experience uh, type arrangements. We're going to do club sports. Uh, we are going to, you know, really try to enrich the experience uh, for the students. Uh, and so I am hopeful that we'll have a thriving on-campus environment that will be safe uh, in the fall. We're also going to be opening up buildings. Uh, so the library will be open, the EMU will be opened, uh, the Tyson Hall will be open. Because we know that students aren't going to want to be cooped up in their dorms. And so what they're going to want to do is get out and find, I know I used to always have a special place that I would go study at night in. And, you know, what we want is we want people to be able to have use of the university. We're arranging everything socially distanced. We're cleaning like crazy. Uh, the dorms will, will have fewer students. Uh, so they'll be less dense. So we're really doing everything that we can uh, to make this a great experience uh, for our incoming students. And then, of course, we're going to have uh, a significant number of students who are going to be living off campus in the upper years. So tell us about how the university is going to try to 
keep those kids safe who have decided to live off campus? So, you know, this is the challenge uh, for every university uh, is, and you're seeing it on the news, is, you know, big parties or, or lack of safety off campus. The first realization that I had to come to was that I have actually, it's, it, there's no, it was never a question, are the students going to be back off campus or not off campus? They were coming anyway. They'd signed leases in the spring and, and they want to be here. They, you know, they want to either not necessarily be in their parents' homes or they want to be with their friends or they just, this is, this is where they, they go to school. This is their home. So they're coming back. How do we keep them safe? Uh, and or what is the maximum uh, that we can do? Uh, and I have come to grips with the idea that I don't control everything and I, we can only do so much, but we are going to do whatever we can do. And partly what we're going to do is we're working with fraternities and social life uh, to make sure that they've reduced the densities in the uh, fraternities and the sororities for people who live there, that they adopt very, very careful standards. And I think we've done that. And I think that that will not, it will not be those places where we're gonna see the problems. It's really gonna be where people, where students live. And I think our best solution is, the, the number one thing is education. And the number one thing is actually peer pressure. Uh, so we need our students to be talking amongst themselves with the importance of staying safe, the importance not to have large parties, the importance of wearing masks, whenever you're with other folks and you can't socially distance, and even when you can socially distance. So we're going to be under, we're, we're in doing a lot of campaigns. We're gonna be working with ASUO and with uh, the journalism school. And we've already been spending a lot of time on that social media. And then, you know, there, the flip of that, where we'd like not to go, but we will go if necessary, is conduct proceedings. If you violate state or local rules and you're a student, um, you know, we're gonna have to, you know, that will be violating our student conduct code. The first step is gonna be education. We're gonna try to explain to you what happened and why you shouldn't be acting in that way. And the second will be, uh, you know, more punitive in nature. But we're hoping we don't have to get there because we know that it's in everyone's interest that we succeed and that we're all able to be together. That's what we want. So I don't know if you can answer this question yet, but I'm wondering about the enrollments for the fall and also for the financial forecast for the university. It's probably too early for you to be definitive, but do, is there anything you can tell us? Yeah, so uh, the, so th this is sort of a long, uh, long-winded answer, but I'll take you through the parts. The first part is enrollment. Uh, and, and what we weren't sure about is would freshman students or, or even upper class students, given that we were going to be remote, what would they want to do? Would they want to take a year off and to wait until we're in person? Would they want to, um, you know, come anyway? And what we're seeing is for our continuing students, the registration numbers are quite strong. So we're not, it doesn't appear that for sophomores, for uh, juniors and seniors, we're gonna be losing much enrollment. With regard to freshmen, we're gonna take a hit. Uh, it's pretty clear. Uh, we've had a large number, larger, much larger than usual number of people who wanna take gap years. 
and come next year. Um, and what we can do is we can learn from schools that have started before us. So we know that um, University of Colorado of Boulder, which in many ways is a similar type of school to the University of Oregon, they uh, just took a hit on their freshman enrollment, probably about 12% uh, of their freshman class didn't come, uh, they under-enrolled. And you know, we're looking at tracking where we are. We think it's gonna be in that range, give or take a couple points. So um, we anticipate that uh, we're gonna be under-enrolled in the freshman class. Uh, that will have a financial consequence for the university. Um, but uh, it is, it is what we are going to have to experience. I mean, I, I keep saying over and over again, health and safety are number one. And, you know, you hear in the media, you actually hear from some people on campus, all the universities care about is money and finances. Well, you know, we've done two things that demonstrate that that is not true. One is we allowed faculty to decide whether they were going to teach in person. They decided they, by and large, they wanted to go remote. And it's gonna, you know, we, we do have this consequence. Secondly, uh, you know, as members of the Pac-12, we decided to postpone the, the football season uh, until such time as we could start safely. And that, that is also uh, something that's going to cost money. But at the end of the day, I have to look in the mirror and I have to say, am I doing the right thing? And am I, uh, am I putting people at danger? And I'm not going to do that. Um, and, and so we need to make sure that we have the testing. We need to make sure that we have the protocols in place. Um, and before we come back in person and uh, before we, um, you know, we, we, we start football up again. And, and we're, we're moving towards that. And I think that, that uh, that's going to be, that is a good thing. And even by the time you air this, we may have some announcements. Now, with respect to the other portion of our finances, which is the state, uh, that is this year the state decided, uh, we, you know, the state is gonna run a budget deficit. It's obvious, right? We're in a recession. Uh, they dis This year, the legislature, when it came back in special session, decided not to protect higher education as well as all education and not cut us. That won't last next year. Uh, when we go into the full session, uh, we anticipate that there will be a significant budget cut uh, to us, and we will deal with it at that time. Uh, and, you know, we, we are taking steps uh, to, uh, prudent steps to deal with that. We've negotiated with the union uh, progressive pay reduction plan that will trigger uh, at a certain point, probably, we don't think in the fall, uh, more likely to be in the spring uh, once we hear about what our state cut is, uh, and then we, you know, both of those two things get added together. Uh, we are trying to save money wherever we can. We've, you know, obviously there's no travel, so we're saving money there. No hiring. Uh, we have a hiring freeze with just limited exceptions. Uh, we are, um, you know, engaging. Uh, we've had a, uh, a, um, a, a some. A work share program, and we're, we're trying to find ways to save money. We established uh, a committee uh, jointly appointed by the Senate leadership and us to be looking at more long-range solutions. Because remember, if we triggered the progressive uh, pay reduction uh, plan, that is really only one year. 
and these are permanent this the the reduction in enrollment is a four-year problem right those freshmen that's a four-year problem and in addition a state cut could be 10 years long right we the irony of all of this is after the 2009 recession we had this tremendous cut and we finally got back in nominal terms to where we were in 2009 this year. And so it takes a long time. Uh, and we're gonna argue as hard as we can, and we're gonna try to involve everybody who's watching this uh, in an argument that it is so short-sighted for the state to cut higher education. And we're hoping at least to make sure that we're not cut disproportionately like we were last time. So I'd like to switch gears and talk about the university's response to the reckoning on race that's been going on across the country uh, this summer. Um, there was recently an announcement that the Black Studies minor is finally available. I'll be interviewing the, uh, the uh, current director in a couple of weeks. But we've also had a long-term uh, problem uh, attracting and retaining uh, faculty of color, and in particular, Af African-American faculty. Do you want to say something about um, how the university is trying to address those kinds of problems and what other, if there are other initiatives that you're undertaking? Sure. So this is obviously, uh, race has been an issue. Uh, diversity and particularly inclusion has been an issue that we've been working on for a while, ever since actually my first year. We started working on it with our students. We created a, a Black cultural center to facilitate that. Unfortunately, they had to close down with COVID-19. It's going to reopen as soon as the students get back. Um, and, you know, we're, we're excited about that and then any number of things. But one of the things is starting this Black Studies minor. We're really excited. This is something that the students were really very excited about us doing. Uh, we've had some fits and starts as we move forward. Uh, it's in CAS. It's, uh, it is, we're hoping to grow it. It's going to provide students with a ton of opportunities to learn more about the black experience in the United States. Um, but that isn't obviously even the tip of the iceberg for us. We have more work to do. And we realize we have more work to do. We need to hire more uh, African-American faculty. We need to hire more faculty of color all the way through the university. Uh, we need, to, but importantly, We've actually hired a lot of black faculty over the past several years. Not enough, but quite a number. We don't retain faculty very well. And so what we need to do is focus on retention of both faculty and staff. We need to build community. We need to build um, you know, uh, an inclusive environment on campus. And so the provost in, in the coming weeks is going to announce a, a set of programs, both with regard to hiring, as well as retention, uh, as well as class climate. So there's a number of different um, uh, priorities that we have in a number of different areas where we're gonna be working. I also wanna work on student success. As you know, Paul, uh, when I came here, uh, maybe three months in, I said student success, timely graduation is my number one priority and we made tremendous progress. Everyone made progress, but we still have gaps between our, our, the graduation rates of our students of color and our, and our white students, and we need to fix that. We need to work on that. That is gonna be one of the themes of this year. 
So faculty hiring, inclusion, climate, student success, those are all things we are really gonna put our shoulder uh, to the, whatever you put your shoulder towards, uh, to really work very hard to achieve. So the Pioneer statues were toppled in June as part of this uh, reckoning on racism and race in America. Um, tell us about your response to that action and if there's a plan for their future display. So, um, so I have to say, I value tremendously, and I know our whole campus values, uh, peaceful protest and people saying their views. I mean, there's a long tradition in this university. I actually didn't know about that tradition until I came here and had my first protest. Uh, but, the, but nonetheless, we value that. We don't value people taking, you know, the law into their own hands, if you will, and toppling uh, statues. I mean, we should be able to deal with that in a deliberative way. And we never were able to do that. We were able to do that with D.D. Hall, but we were never able, and Don Hall, formerly Don Hall, uh, now Unthink Hall, uh, we were able to do that. And, uh, but we were never really able to talk about the pioneer statues. We were never able to really have a good conversation about our history uh, particularly with regard to uh, Native Americans in, this, in, in the Pacific Northwest. And I think we're poorer for that. I hope we can get back there. Um, but, you know, with regard to the pioneer statues, overall, we're not, uh, as I announced, we're not going to be putting them back where they were. Um, that would only be an invitation to a future vandalism. And we're going to set up a process at some point to figure out what we're going to do with them. I have to say, um, with COVID-19, with Black Lives Matter and all of the things we want to do around fighting systemic racism, and with the forest, uh, the, the wildfires, and our, our trying to recover from the wildfires, uh, what I do with those two statues is not top of mind right now. They'll be where they are, and they'll still be there um, when we're ready to get to them. Hayward Field's renovation is complete. Uh, unfortunately, uh, there, there can't be any events there. Um, what are the plans, are there plans to use that incredible facility in the fall sometime in this October? Yes, so there, there's several things going on. One is One thing that's gonna have to happen is because of all the ash, they're gonna have to clean up Hayward Field uh, because as, as you know, the, there's ash everywhere, but the, um, but one of the things, the, the, the cross-country team is already using it. Uh, so they're already using the outside facilities. The inside facilities are truly, truly amazing. And coach, our coach, our, our, our track coach is, is getting ready for a grand reveal uh, for our track teams and they'll be in, in cross-country and they'll be able to use uh, those facilities. Uh, and then we're going to be thinking about ways in which there's so many people who want to be able to see Hayward Field, see the new Hayward Field uh, and experience it. And we're gonna be thinking about ways to safely do tours in Hayward Field and engage people in, in this amazing uh, new facility. And then, uh, I don't know if many people know this, but part of Hayward Field uh, is the new uh, human physiology labs. Uh, and there's, there's, a, there's a clinic uh, in there. 
and that is currently being worked on. It's it's, gonna, it's a great space. It's being outfitted with equipment, um, and uh, students will be using uh, that facility too. I don't really have a sense about when it's going to be done, uh, but I know that the work is ongoing now, and you know we're we're just incredibly grateful to, uh, to Phil and Penny who made it possible uh, Phil and Penny Night for the for Hayward Field to be uh, to become really the number one track venue in the world. So we're coming to the end of our time and I wanted to ask you the question that I've asked you every time that we've spoken uh, near the end of the interview, which is, uh, have you read anything recently that you would recommend? So I read, I've been, I've read, so I've read one book just finished, uh, which is a great book. Uh, it's by uh, a former mentor of mine, Bill Bowen, who used to be president of Princeton, and pre uh, president of the Mellon Foundation, and it's called Locus of Power, or Locus of Authority, and it's about shared governance. Uh, and I just had to write a paper uh, about shared governance, which is sort of ironic, in my, I guess not ironic, but uh, maybe appropriate for me. Uh, but the, uh, and I will, the, I will give you the punchline is, I think shared governance is great, and I think it's important, and, and people who don't like it, I think are wrong. Uh, but in any event, I read that book uh, again, and it's, it's full of wisdom, is everything that Bill Bowen did. Uh, and so I recommend that highly to everybody. And then on, on my uh, coffee table, or actually it's not on my coffee table, it's on my bed, is a new book. Uh, well, it's not a new book, but it's new for me. It's called Inside the Dog. Uh, and it's by a woman named Alexandra Hoffman, who's a psychologist at Barnard. And it's trying to understand what does a dog think? What does a dog smell? How, what does a dog taste? And it's sort of without, uh, you know, anthropomorphizing or however one pronounces that word, the dog to be just like a human. Uh, but uh, it is, uh, and it's particularly relevant for me because as you know, Paul, you were one of my advisors when I was uh, looking to get a dog. Uh, and so I got a new dog, uh, his name is Max. Uh, and uh, I anticipate bringing him around campus quite a bit so he gets to meet uh, our students and, and our faculty and our staff. Uh, and uh, he's, uh, he's uh, someone who uh, I'm enjoying having. Well, that's a nice note to end on, Mike. I'm personally looking forward to meeting Max. I've seen photos of him, but I haven't had the pleasure. Um, I want to thank you again for taking the time to speak with us. And also, I want to say a good luck this year. It's going to be a challenge. Thank you. And thank you for everything you're doing. We've been, we've been speaking with Michael Schill, president of the University of Oregon. Thanks for watching.